Welcome back to part three in this series with Dustin Tarpine of Cedar Rose Winery and Vineyard in South Jersey. Yeah, so it's luckily as we've grown in size and and also because of Vine Tech, it helps because of the scale and we're doing you know we're, we're working on a lot of acres. Uh, we've been able to mechanize uh, in the past couple years, and that has really significantly helped with the labor demand in some certain areas because. I mean, basically, <clears throat> the, the seasonal life of the grapevine, I mean, you prune it down in the winter. Uh, you have shoots that start to grow up in the spring, right? And basically, in about two, three weeks, we'll get bud break. And then you have shoots that grow up. Then you actually have to send guys through and do what you call shoot thinning, where you actually remove a certain number of shoots from the vine in order to improve spacing and airflow in the canopy and also in order to decrease the fruit load a little bit because the, the grapes are a weird crop and now you don't just want more of the yield. There's a, there's a certain range of yield that actually is optimal for quality. So, um, so that's, so we go through and we shoot thin and then they're going to grow all the way up uh, to the top and then they're going to have to be hedged. And then uh, if there's any extra fruit, we're going to have to go through and do what's called cluster thinning and actually cut clusters right off of the vine and just drop them to the ground. Uh, you know, and then you've got all, you know, you've got your uh, chemical management for pesticides and all that stuff, which is, you know, in New Jersey is, is kind of tough to grow grapes in New Jersey from a, from that standpoint because of the weather and the, the wet, the wet summers and the humidity and everything else. Uh, and then you've got harvest, you know, and the, Luckily, we actually just bought a mechanical harvester last year, so that is going to save us a crazy amount of time. Usually, we usually say it takes about 40 man hours an acre to harvest. Uh, with that machine, we were able to harvest an acre in like 20 minutes, I think it was, last year when they demoed it for us. So it's it's a massive saving. So there's there are ways to kind of mechanize in certain areas when you can, but there's certain things that just take a lot of time to do and take a lot of precision and it's kind of hard to do it with a machine like they, they do have machines that prune but they don't do a very good job and they don't do it in the style that, that we like to do it in um so it's you know there are some options but there's a there's a certain amount of hand labor that you just can't get away from when it comes to growing grapes it's just a very very labor intensive crop to grow have you gotten any mm -hmm. sort of mentorship or any sort of old school guidance from any of the folks who've been around a generation or two? Yeah. So, um, honestly, and I kind of, I actually skipped over this in my original intro. <laughs> um, but I used to, uh, I worked for almost four years for Bellevue winery. So I basically, uh, I think I, I pretty, pretty much started working for him right when I got back from that internship in 2011. So I, I, uh, I started working over there and Bellevue winery is over in Buna. Um, the winery itself isn't multi-generational, but the farm is. I know Jim's parents, I believe, moved there in 1900, I want to say. Uh, um, they used to mainly grow vegetables, but then in 2000, they switched over uh, to growing grapes and uh, slowly kind of changed the whole farm basically over to growing grapes. So he was 100% a huge mentor to me. I mean, he... You know, he told me, I mean, everything that he could possibly teach me. I mean, at any point in time that I had a question, every single thing that he was doing, always explaining to me why it was being done um, and all these things. So, yeah, that's a, that's a big aspect, I think, of 
really just the overall direction of the industry is that there are these, you know, these, these older guys who've been doing this now for quite some time. And, you know, guys like us, we've been lucky enough, you know, what are they, I think they're saying, it's like, I can only see far because I stand on the shoulders of giants or something like that. And I, I really believe that's true. I mean, the only reason why I can focus on what we want to do from a marketing standpoint and, and experimenting with things and doing all that is just because all the other shit, all the other stuff already got figured out, you know, so all the, all the, you know, how, how many times do we spray? What materials are good to spray? You know, uh, when are we supposed to shoot thin? When are we supposed to leaf pull? When are we supposed to do these things? All that stuff, they've been working on that stuff for like 20, 30, 40 years now. And yeah, I mean, I have been really fortunate through Jim and through uh, Dan Ward, the other guy I worked for at Rutgers, to meet, I mean, all kinds of people in the industry. I mean, at this point, between the Vine Tech thing and us just having a reputation and working with a lot, because we work with a lot of existing wineries too, um, just to help them with, um, you know, like if they get in a bind where they just need, like, say they need, like, a couple acres planted or something small or they need, uh, you know, an extra spray or whatever. Um, so we've, we really have been fortunate to, you know, we're, we're, with most of the people in the industry uh and it's it's been a it's been awesome honestly it's been a we've been lucky to be able to get to know everybody really to insert ourselves into the industry in this way uh kind of in a relatively quick quick fashion which is you know i'm surprised that we were able to do that but there's uh yeah jack tomasello i mean he's you know he's he's a she a wealth of knowledge yeah, I've had conversations with him uh, about different things, and you know, a couple of conversations with Tony Valenzano about you know, the, the another you know, generation winery. But uh, yeah, I mean, it's funny that those there are a couple guys who've been around for a long time. I think Tomasello was founded in '33, if I recall. Um, but really, overall, apart from these couple outliers, the industry is really pretty young. I mean, the majority, even like Bellevue being probably one of the oldest wineries has only been around since 2000. So, you know, it's 22 years at this point, but uh, in comparison to, you know, winemaking in other regions where they've got in Portugal, like, you know, 15 generations making, you know, working at the same winery, uh, you know, we really are kind of young, you know, like a really, really young industry. The sort of explosion in South Jersey and New Jersey winemaking, is that a direct function of how wine can be a vehicle essentially to make a smaller piece of farmland profitable and viable versus standard uh, produce? Um, I think that's got something to do with it. I mean, you know, just definitely, it's tough to say, honestly, because there are a lot there are a lot of expenses that go into growing grapes. And even though you can make more money off of a smaller piece of land, it still is not exactly, you know, you're not making a killing. You know, if you have a five acre, we, we generally say, I mean, for a winery, if someone comes to us and they say they want to put a winery somewhere, we usually tell them that like 10 acres is the minimum amount that you would want to have. And that's that's probably on the low end, honestly. But I think the wave has more to do has to do with a couple of things. I, one, it has to do, I think, with the local movement, right? So the whole drink local, eat local, you know, movement that has, you know, that started a while back and is still very much alive. I think 
that is one thing that has really done it. I think people are just starting to realize that, hey, you know, I can drink wine from here. And it's just, I think people are getting over the snobbery of it a little bit because I was, you know, even when I was working at Bellevue, we would go to wine festivals and we would, I don't know how many people would just turn their nose up at our, at our wines and they just would don't even want to try them. And then all you have to do is give somebody one blind where they don't know what it is or put, you know, put the wine in a, in a blind tasting with the two or three other California wines and it, it shows well. And I think a lot of it is just that, the state is finally coming around. For some reason, people don't have snobbery about tomatoes and carrots, right? I don't need my carrots and tomatoes to come from France, and they don't need to be made in a certain area. You know, we're totally fine with local vegetables and local fruit, you know what I mean? But for some reason, when it comes to wine, it doesn't translate, you know, because there's such a snobbery around it that, you know, it's got to come from here, and these are the best producers, and I only drink cab, and then all this other stuff. And it's just... I think finally the right people are, are starting to realize that our wines are good. And I, and I think that is a big, big part of it is that, you know, we've been hitting people over the head with these Jersey wines for so many years now that I think that there's finally enough groundswell that people are actually starting to pay attention. And some of these people like our clients that we work with, I mean, as far as the growth and the surge in plantings and in the industry itself and in, in wineries opening up, I mean, these are just a lot of these guys are just, I mean, people who are super interested in wine who are just at the end of their life. You know, they've been successful. You know, they're they're kind of basically through their first business. You know, they're kind of retired, but they're, you know, these are very high energy businessmen that we're generally dealing with. So a lot of these people, you know, a lot of our, our clients are just, wine aficionados. I mean, they're people who have giant wine cellars who love wine, who just always wanted to have a winery. And now they've become successful enough that, you know, and they have somebody they can hire to just do it for them. <laughs> so they do. I mean, that's, that's, you know, that's something I think, you know, we've really, you know, to our, our own horns here, but I do believe that we've really facilitated the growth of this industry because if we go back into the records, I think mean, Steve did this last year uh, just to kind of see, I, I, I think we, we've installed somewhere between like 20 and 30% of the new vineyards in the past five years in the state or something like that. I mean, it, it, we, we've established something like 100 and, 150, 160 or something acres worth of vineyards. And I think there's only like, 2,000 acres in the whole state. It used to be that most of what New Jersey wines were, were sweet fruit wines. I mean, that was what was known, that was what, that was what sold well, uh, you know, it was what was available, it's what everybody was making. So that was kind of what we became known for. Like if you were to ask a real wine drinker about New Jersey wine, they would tell you, oh, it's all sweet and fruity when, you know, it's not really the case. It's just that that's what the market wanted. So that's what people were making. And that's still what people are making because the market still wants it. I mean, we, we struggle sometimes over here just because we don't make very many sweet wines. You know, we make a couple, but we focus much more on traditionally made dry red white rosé wines you know that you know made in kind of an old an older world style and there a lot of the newer wineries are are kind of in our vein and they're focusing on 
nicer, well-made, high-quality wines rather than just turning out a bunch of just, you know, easily drinkable, uh, you know. And there's nothing wrong with it. I mean, if people like what they like, and, you know, that's fine. It's just that when you when you spend a lot of time and try to, you know, and effort and energy trying to create these wines, it just, like, it's heartbreaking as a winemaker to just – you know, to have somebody almost spit your Cab Sauvignon out, but then ask for like a blueberry wine or something, you know, it's just like, it, it's just a very different thing. But, uh, but I think that it, there's an upswing of winemakers in New Jersey that are making these types of wines and they are very good in a lot of cases. And I think that the recognition that we've gotten in different uh, competitions and medals that people get and you know press that we've gotten and things like that i think is finally starting to move the needle with the real, the real wine drinkers with 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 the wine drinkers who are drinking the types of wines that we want to produce i should say i shouldn't say it's everybody it's not real and fake wine drinkers they're they're all real wine drinkers but it's just the people who prefer to consume the wines that we would prefer to make i guess is the way to put it you know they're finally figuring out that we make these wines and they're finally figuring out that New Jersey can make good wines and, you know, they're they're the customers who are willing to pay $35 a bottle for, you know, for a, a bottle of red wine because, you know, to them it's worth it. And that's the level of the price we basically need to be at in order to produce these types of wines. So, yeah, there's a lot of factors going into the, uh, the feeding of the or the growing of the industry. but it, it's still hit or miss I think in the state as far as quality goes you know and, and the problem is when people put these articles out you know if some other wine writer sees this article and then they just go pick a handful of New Jersey wineries to go visit they might have not gotten the best that New Jersey has to offer you know and I think that's another reason why people kind of pull their punches a little bit with that stuff is that they don't want to stick their neck out there and say, Hey, New Jersey wine's fantastic. And then somebody comes out of New York, some wine writer and goes to like five New Jersey wineries that they just picked the wrong ones to go to. And then, you know, they end up with a bad reputation or a bad, a bad idea of what it is. And that's, what's happened a lot too, is that, you know, they, a lot of the people who, who come out of New York and these wine writers and stuff, they don't make their way all the way down here. You know, they, they go they come out of New York, they go within say like an hour's distance into New Jersey in their area and that's it, you know? And so if you really want to, you know, all the best wineries aren't in any one spot. So if you really want to check out the wineries that are really doing what the wine press would consider to be a good job, you got to go over the whole state. I mean, there's wineries in North Jersey, way North Jersey that are doing great work. There's wineries in South Jersey and Central that are doing great work. But, you know, if you have one day to go out on a trip and you just kind of go into one certain little area, it doesn't, it doesn't necessarily, it's not necessarily representative of the best parts of the industry. I guess I could say. No, that's fair. It's like telling somebody, oh, I found this great amusement park in New Jersey and you're talking about great adventure and they come over the bridge and they go to Action Park and break both legs. <laughs> yeah, exactly. That's exactly right. Yeah, so it's, uh, yeah, but it's, it's nice to see that people are reluctantly writing these articles. And the thing is too, that's weird is like, if you get some of these people alone, some of these writers and bloggers and stuff, and you just talk to them, 
they're all on board. I mean, they're they're so on board with our wines and what we're doing, and they're all excited about it. You know, we've had a couple of press tours through this area, and people are blown away by the wines. I mean, there were there were people, there were some, uh, I don't know, some writers from the New York area, Hudson Valley area, um, you know, on this one tour. And they were all blown away, uh, you know, at most of the wineries they went to, and they all went back and they wrote fantastic pieces. And, uh, you know, it's that sort of stuff that I think is a little by little uh, moving the needle. And uh, and the other, other things too, like the judgment. So are you familiar with the judgment of Paris? It what happened uh, in, I think it was in 76, uh, between the French and the California wines. Don't forget to subscribe and like the show on iTunes, Spotify, and anywhere you listen. And hey, don't be afraid to scroll up or down or over or jump back a page and check out the other parts in this series with Dustin Tarpine from Cedar Rose Winery and Vineyard.